0: Hi! Welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And we have a special guest for this episode of the podcast. Special long-time friend... No, he's not over there. I'm just gesturing (laughs) for emphasis. Long-time friend of the podcast and three-time guest here for the hat trick, Morgan Stewart. I'm sick. Morgan Stewart, uh, creator... Director, producer, and star, some may say, of the Misery Loves Company podcast. Isn't that right, Morgan? It's a podcast about the worst people you know, but in space. Mm-hmm. The science fiction adventure comedy podcast? Is that—is that fair? Is that sum a it up?
1: serialized, yeah. 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 The, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, there's like a story and characters and stuff, but it's all yeah, it's it's funny. It's like
1: Golden Age Radio, but in your pocket.
0: But you're not here to talk about that today, are you? No. But, Morgan, what are you here to talk about?
1: The pixies!
2: The the modulation in tone really reflects what we're talking about.
0: (laughs) That's true. It's quiet, it's quiet, quiet, and then it's loud. It's it's so loud!
1: And there's a guy in the background just going, "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) yeah! "Ah!" Morgan, tell us about the Pixies. Tell us about your the, favorite band, the Pixies. The Pixies are a band, <laughs> and they, they've they been around kind of since 86 <laughs> and 2004. <laughs> uh, they invented alt rock, and, <laughs> and uh, they're the reason that the radio sucked in the mid to late 90s. I guess mm. that's more Nirvana's fault, but they made Nirvana, so who cares?
0: Right, the whole thing is that Nirvana basically took the structure
1: of "Tame" and completely like jacked it for all of their songs, right? Yeah, and then made two or three at least good ones. Oh, <laughs> take that, Nirvana fans! Controversial.
2: So Morgan, you made a playlist which you gave to me. Well, us. <laughs> yeah. But this was my first experience with the Pixies, so yeah, I'm saying me.
1: How'd you um, like them?
2: I I mostly positive like there were some songs i liked a lot and some yeah. that i was like kind of eh, and some that i could do without but you know there weren't yeah. as many of those
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be fair and and this is to everyone out there i sent them around 50 songs uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all of that together was probably about 12 minutes yeah the Pixies, material. they
0: get in and they do their job and then they're out they
2: like a two and a half minute song which you know um, i'm into <laughs>
0: So, you don't need more songs... than two and a
2: half minutes, do you?
0: Uh, this is not my first experience with the Pixies that Bear's mentioning. And also, I guess, maybe Bear's mentioning that their name is actually just Pixies, but I'm never
1: going to we'll get that. We'll get to that. that. I'm never going to get that. Okay. We'll table oh, that for Well, now. actually, you know what? We should preface this right away. Okay. Because some <laughs> nerd is going to be on your SoundCloud getting mad about this from second one. Okay. Here's okay. the thing. 4 A.D., Decided after their first album or their EP that they were just gonna, gonna be the just gonna be Pixies because it worked for throwing muses and they it, it, no one cares. They just did an interview two weeks ago where they said they don't care. I'll I'll send you the link. You can put it in your thing, lay it to rest. Nobody cares. They're the Pixies. They're Pixies. They're Puxies. It doesn't matter. Okay. It's Okay, you heard it Let's, here first, nerds right don't, now.
0: Don't don't come after us, okay? So I have seen the Pixies twice in concert, Morgan, with you both times. Correct. <laughs> um, uh, despite that fact, I actually don't know their discography very well. So this yeah. was an educational moment for me too, and I'm excited to hear your I, I kind of just want to hear cuz I know you love the Pixies, Morgan. I've known love that Pixies. for a decade plus. You know, going right. on 12, 13 ish years now. And I realized I was I was talking to Kelsey about today and I realized that I to me it makes perfect sense that the Pixies are, would you say that are your favorite band Morgan? Is that fair to say? I think
1: so. That's fair to say.
0: Yeah, to me that makes perfect sense but I could not actually verbalize why that is.
1: That's a I can't either.
0: Okay. I'm hoping over the course of the next, let's say three to four hours, we can really get to the bottom of this.
2: Please, can we not go for three to four
0: hours? And this is our first five part episode. Two to three.
1: Um, I, <laughs> I discovered the Pixies. Because of Jason, much like many things, actually, mm-hmm. because we were playing Rock Band in his basement, and he was like, "Hey, there's new DLC. <laughs> it's Doolittle by the Pixies," and I was like, okay, "Who b- are the Pixies?" Before, and he goes, before they did the Fight Club song. Before
0: anyone judges me about any of this, I want to remind you, it was 2008. Okay, yeah. it was a different time. It different was time. George. It was George Bush's America.
1: But yeah, we downloaded all of Doolittle, and. Uh, We just played through the whole album, and after each song, I was increasingly blown away by how much I loved every single second of what I was hearing and also failing to play on expert drums.
0: (laughs) I had actually forgotten this is how it happened, but as you
1: described it, it's all coming back to me, as Celine Dion would say. That shit really blew my balls off the first time I heard it. I'd never heard anything like this before. I mean, I still really haven't. There's really not a lot of bands like the Pixies. What would you say
0: was it about the Pixies that first struck you in that long ago time?
1: Uh, well, as soon as the started, um, I was like, <laughs> I don't even know how to encapsulate the feeling of that that song, but it, it's the most manic thing I, I I think I had ever really heard, and this is like right when I was like getting into music like, as a thing to enjoy, really. Like, late 06, early 07, 2008, um, was when I was, like, discovering bands that everyone had been listening to their whole lives. It's because I, I didn't really... I
2: mood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, I, I'd listen to the radio and stuff, but, like, I didn't really form a musical identity. And um, I, something about it just, like, sat in my brain. And I was like, this is, this is it. And then I downloaded their whole discography immediately (laughs) afterwards. And I didn't like it at all. (laughs) I really did not get into it. The music
2: actually does really strike me as something that like you like more, the more you listen to it. Yeah. Because I probably did the whole playlist like five times. And I think I liked it the most that last time. Mm.
1: That sounds that sounds right on the money. <laughs> that sounds right on the money. I It's like, Doolittle is a really good album because it really sort of combines their really aggressive sound with some of the more poppier tracks that they have. So it's a really good place to, like, jump on board. But, like, their early stuff is, is, is basically just punk rock with quieter guitars. Um, so it can be a little abrasive and hard to adjust to if you're not ready for it.
2: Morgan, can you maybe like walk us through why you picked what you did like what you wanted to convey about the pixies and the not not quite 50 songs. I think it was closer <laughs> to 25 or 30, but
1: yeah. <laughs> like um, I started I started you off with um, some stuff they recorded before they got into the studio the first time. Like I, I had a track called Caribou, which I think is a version from Frank Black Francis. Um, this was recorded on like uh, a tape recorder, like not a cassette tape, but like, a you know, a reel to reel machine. Do, do you want me to, uh, I I sort of need to jump back a little bit here. Uh, in 80, 86, in the winter of 86, sort of January. Three
2: years before Morgan was born.
1: Three, three, two years.
2: Two years. Sorry.
1: So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to call him, uh, uh, Charles. His name is Charles Thompson the fourth, or uh, you might be Black Francis or Frank Black, whatever. I'm just gonna call him Charles, so we don't have to deal with all the name stuff. Uh, so Charles and uh, Joey Santiago, <laughs> they're uh, ru- uh, sweet mates at uh, University of Massachusetts. That's where they met. Um, and then Charles goes off; he does like a study abroad thing in Puerto Rico for six months, and uh, he was like, "I hate." school, and I'm either going to go to Australia and see Halley's Comet, or I'm going to go start a rock band. And he was like, I guess I'll go start a rock Not band. Not both. Not both. Can only do one. Hmm. So, can't start so, a rock
2: band in Australia?
1: And that it's has impossible. made all the difference. <laughs> so, in in December, January of 86, he, he writes a letter to Joey and is like, we have to quit school and start a rock band and get real famous. And Joey <laughs> was like, okay, let's drop out and do it. So he comes back <laughs> It, this is January of 86. They start getting the band together. And like 18 months later, they have two albums and they've been on a headlining <laughs> tour in Europe. So that's how fast everything happened. They they recorded their first album like six months later or the EP or the purple tape that would become their first EP that would lead into their first album all
0: in the same year. Um, uh, maybe maybe the best case scenario for if your friend tells you you have to drop out of school and start a rock band. Right? Yeah, they,
1: they did the thing. They were both working in factories in Boston at the time. And mm-hmm. they got to do the thing where they went to work and were like, hey, we're rock stars now. We quit. <laughs> <laughs> they, both, they both did that. They decided they're going to start a band. They, uh, they put out advertisements in the local <laughs> paper, asking for people who like Husker Du and the Jesus and Mary chain. And uh, this girl, Kim Murphy, shows up who has never played a bass and says she'll play a bass. And they, they pick her up for n- no real reason. Um, and then her husband, who worked with a guy at Radio Shack, uh, they got the guy from Radio Shack to come in and play the drums. And he wanted to be in a hair metal band. He wanted to play songs like he wanted to be in like a Rush cover band. Uh, but instead they were like, well, here, play some of this weird stuff, but play it like it's Rush. And he was like, okay. And then they had a band. And then they played like 10 shows and then they got signed. Um, whatever. So, so this, this first track I gave you was, uh, was Caribou. And that was from these real to real recordings they did before they recorded the purple tape, which led into the first EP, which is called Come On Pilgrim. Basically, uh, Charles was really into like this guy. He did like Jesus freak songs. Um, he had an album called Why Does the Devil Get All the Good Music. Oh, um, um
0: oh, shoot. Larry, I want to say Larry Norman. Larry Norman.
1: Yeah. It is does like folk, um, rock stuff, like that late '60s, '70s, like Jesus Freak. Yeah,
0: thing. he did. I wish we'd all been ready. The yeah, maybe the best song ever written about the rapture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he loved that guy. They recorded a cover of one of his songs for the Purple Tape, and it's the only track that's never showed up anywhere. Um, really?
0: Oh man, I can't. Bl- I didn't even know that. That's really interesting. Watch
1: what you're saying. I think is what's huh, Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. So that was like a really big influence. That's sort of why all the, in the first few albums there's all the biblical stuff. But oh, we'll get into <laughs> that, that. That's putting it pretty lightly. Yeah, t- lightly.
0: Um, there was, so there was some biblical stuff in the first few albums by the Pixies. Yeah, sure.
2: My immediate reaction to songs like Caribou is that, oh, this is nice. Oh, wait, I don't like being screamed at when I'm listening to music.
1: You gotta repent. <laughs> I,
2: I don't want to. Not when it's being yelled at (laughs) me like that.
1: (laughs) Caribou is a song about... Caribou is important for this particular thing that I'm doing because it has a spiritual successor way down the line in this Mm -hmm. podcast, and we'll we'll get to it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they do these reel-to-reel recordings, and it's just Charles and his guitar, and he's sort of like singing where everybody else's parts are going to be, and it's sort of like laying out what they're going to record the next day when they go in to do Come on, Pilgrim. Um, and that sort of leads into, I put Caribou on there again, the studio version. Right. Uh, Subaculture and Down to the Well, which didn't actually appear on the EP. And I put Ed is Dead and Levitate <laughs> Me, because Ed is Dead. Uh, at the time, uh, when they were first getting together, Char- Charles was really into this thing called automatic writing. Um, and it's sort of like the same kind of thing that, like,
2: it's like one of the signs you're being possessed right <laughs> well well no it's just like
1: you just <laughs> write whatever comes to mind it's like free writing basically and the idea is that the song's already in your head and you can just pull it out and that's how he wrote almost all these songs mm. it's just like okay he didn't, they're yeah. all yeah. first draft like he just writes them down and they go uh caribou's just about this reincarnation in the form of a of of a, a caribou and returning um, to a nature, a
2: moose-like and... creature.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's sort of um, thematic of a lot of their early catalog, and that it's kind of got these religious overtones, and it's all about nature and like oneness with the environment that, that shows up a lot. Um, Where's my mind is one that's sort of similar. Uh, anyway, uh, that is why I picked that track, <laughs> okay? And why and why it's on uh, Come on Pilgrim as well. How long did he continue to write songs that way because even
0: looking at their most recent stuff I kind of it does often feel like he's maybe doing a little bit of improv when he's like writing the song. Yeah. Like let me tell that, you about Catfish Kate and uh, <laughs> uh and the time before when she was just she was uh, just uh, Kate. Just Kate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There just we go. Just Kate. Now I'm on a um, roll, baby. Through, through his early solo career. <laughs> and then th- once he beca- once he left the Pixies and started doing the Catholics mm-hmm. um that was when He's sort of focused more on his songwriting. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a song. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And no one liked it. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Honestly, the, the stuff you gave us from his uh, work with, as, as Frank Black and the Catholics kind of is it, missing a little bit of that that oomph.
2: What were, Can you remind me what songs those were?
1: The solo stuff? Yeah. Um, I believe I sent you Hang On To Your Ego. Uh, I want to live on an abstract plane, all my ghosts uh dog in the sand.
2: I liked them, but they were down in my ranking,
1: yeah, well, I, there was more uh, they're more like blues rock tracks I, and like, I'm really then.
2: into that.
1: Don't worry, you're not alone
2: also dog <laughs> in the sand was I had on my list of like I think I've heard this before
1: it was very big okay. at the time I had really four, yeah. I, I mean four songs
2: in... on that list of I think I've heard this before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: So um, they recorded the first album at Ford Apache, which that was it for Boston. That was, like, the big thing. And, like, a lot of bands, if you're familiar with alt-rock, they recorded there. Like um, Radiohead recorded Pablo Honey and some of the bands there. Ruby Horse, oh, Throwing Muses, <laughs> Belly. They're, they're the peak Dinosaur of their career. Jr., the Mighty, Mighty Boss Tones. Weezer did some of their Pinkerton stuff. Yola Tango, Soul Coughing, Billy Bragg, The Cure, Miracle Legion, Juliana Hatfield, Warren Zevon, like, all these guys all recorded in the studio. It was a sort of joint venture between this guy. His name was uh, Joe Harvard and uh, t- t- Gary Smith. Um, and Joe Harvard is such a central figure in the early alt-rock scene uh, in sort of, like, Boston and, uh, I guess to some extent, Seattle, that, like, he spent, like, the last 10 years of his life just basically writing an encyclopedia of all the stuff he saw <laughs> like, was a part of, uh, um, and it's massive. Is that, is, that
0: a, is that available to purchase? Yeah,
1: um, Well, it's all online. Uh, you can go to – I think it's still up. He died recently, I think late last year. Um, like, at, he was super young, like 63, and he, he hadn't even finished it, and it – I believe it's still online. You can still read it. But it, it's it's just like, hey, I was at the recording when Radiohead did Creep, and it sure was wild. <laughs> um, he was everywhere. in every single band that you like from this era, he probably recorded at least one or two tracks of. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy, Gary Smith, he had seen them at clubs. He saw them. The very first night they performed, they were introduced as the puxies. Uh <laughs> <laughs> they, they made 17 bucks and he saw them their first show, and he basically got with them instantly. So this purple tape goes out, which we just talked about. Um, it's 18 tracks. They recorded that in like a, a day and a half. Gary, Gary Smith, the guy who he was sort of with Joe Harvard recording this stuff, he passes out this tape. He sends it to everybody. Uh, this guy, Ken Goes, he was in Boston. And he had just gotten the, the Throwing Muses signed with 4AD Records. And it just so happened that Ivo Watts, the head of 4AD Records, was in Boston sort of doing some work for Throwing Muses. So Ken goes, takes that tape, and gives it to Ivo Watts. And he's like, I know you just signed another band from me that's also a rock band, but these guys are really good. So he gives it to Ivo Watts. Iva Watts listens to it. He basically just – he says one time he just put the tape in, um, in a tape player and just walked around with it for a full day and was like, I got to – these guys are too good. They're too good. <laughs> so he, they get signed, like, immediately. Um, iva Watts sort of takes the purple tape. He cuts it in half. They release it as yeah. Come On Pilgrim, and it's only available in the U.K. because they didn't have a U.S. distributor at the time. Um, it doesn't sell really well in the U.S. because it's available by import only and no one knows who the Pixies are. Um, but in the U.K. it immediately sort of becomes a hit.
0: And this is still like the mid-80s,
1: right? Yeah, this is still 87. Oh. Um, so they've been at it for uh, not even a full year. <laughs> like six months. Wow. They Mid-86 they had a full band together. And then... Right in 87, they record Come On Pilgrim, and then they go right into Rosa, Um, their first album. So they, they go on tour in the UK, like, right away with Throwing Muses, who are really big over there, and by the midway point of the tour, they switch headline acts, and the Pixies are... Now Throwing Muses are opening for the Pixies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as soon as they come off that tour, they're like, okay... Let's get you to record an album. Uh, This is still the same year. This is still 87. Um, So they get uh, with uh, Steve Albini, (laughs) and they record uh, Surfer Rosa. Um, And a lot of people would say, I think a lot of, like, Pixies Pixies fans will say this is their best album. I don't really think so. Um, But it did have their biggest single, which was gigantic. Um
0: yeah, that we know a... it was big, but what was the name of the track?
1: <laughs> 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 so gigantic is about a girl who really likes big black cocks. Um, uh, oh, sorry, Morgan, John. Morgan, please. BBC. Okay. BBC's. Sorry. Our audience um, is
0: savvy. We can just use the terminology.
1: Okay. So that's what the song's really about. Um, it's it's, it say, sound... it's it's
0: about it's based on Crimes of the Heart, right? Crimes of the Heart. <laughs> which which uh, well that I mean the play like the play. No, it's about a woman who really likes black dudes. Wait, that—that's the plot of Crimes of the Heart. Look, is I know, it? I know you're coming at this from a decade plus of deep fandom, but I did see this on Wikipedia today. <laughs> so yeah, maybe I don't know. Stop mansplaining this to me and take set <laughs> take several seats. And that's, I didn't know and that. And honestly, Morgan, that's tea.
1: And this this thing with gigantic is going to lead into some bigger issues down the line. Bigger so, than gigantic. Oh boy. Bigger than gigantic. That'd be massive, so, <laughs> colossal, even. <laughs> <laughs> the um at this so kim deal uh she used to she was married when they got together mm-hmm. when they started the band she used to come to shows in like a dress and like makeup and introduce herself as as mrs kim her husband's last name cuz it irritated the punk rock people so much <laughs> um they didn't like that <laughs> cuz it was uh. anti feminist but she was doing it as a bit doesn't matter so kim uh is wants to be wants to have a band her twin sister had played drums with him for a little while, but it didn't work out because uh, she wanted to be in Kim's band, not Charles's band. Um, she's a songwriter too, and she's got musical chops, and she can sing. And the sort of dichotomy between her, like, really smooth voice, um, and you know, Charles's like Wah! sounds, <laughs> is like really integral to sort of the chemistry of these first two uh, two records. It's a weird, um, as
0: you, so you sort of alluded to this earlier, but it's a weird, like, combination of things. Yeah. Because I think if you tried to, I mean, I've heard it described to the Pixies, like, their sound early on, especially as basically, like, punk rock meets surf rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is- Surf
1: rock's a huge influence on all this, and you can hear it very clearly. That's kind
0: of reductive, but if you want to describe it to somebody, that'd probably be the best way to get at it. Because otherwise, you'd just be saying, well, it sounds like alternative rock or college rock, but they invented that, so it's uh, not really, (laughs) not really helpful.
1: But surf, surf Rock definitely, um, if, if you put the Beach Boys upside down and shook them for a while, uh, <laughs> there you go. They covered a, a couple Beach Boys songs. That, um,
0: that Hold On To Your Ego, that's, that's a Beach Boys, that's a Brian Wilson song, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is on I, the playlist. And the Pixies did mm-hmm. a
1: version of that before I they think. split up, but it disappears. Oh. It goes away. With Gigantic, this is not atypical for them at the time because they're really working well together. But uh, Charles writes the song, and Kim like adds stuff to it, and she sings it, and it's a big hit. Um, so now your first big single is being sung by someone who's not the lead singer, who's not a songwriter for the band, really. Um, and what do you think that might do to your ego if you've gotten this big that fast? Uh, it's gonna hurt. Seems
0: like it could <laughs> cause some uh, some. It to form between yeah, uh, some, in, within some the friction. band,
1: and you will not hear Kim really on a single ever again. You're just not going to do it, especially you're not going to hear her one where she's singing lead. She does a couple b sides after this, but she does not lead a single ever well,
0: again. well, I don't hold on, Morgan. She made a triumphant return alongside the band itself in two thousand and three, I believe oh, we'll get to it. I don't want to skip ahead, but uh there is there's a there's a Kim fronted single, maybe. The most important and Yeah, probably the best song they ever released, if
1: we're being honest.
3: <laughs>
1: we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So put, it, put, I, a, um, put a pin in that. I think that's put a kind
2: of that. a shame because she has a very good voice and
1: she she has a great voice. It seems like and they
2: have good songwriting chemistry because that's a good song.
1: Yes, it is. People and love they that song. Did, but here's here's what happens. So you have gigantic, it's really good. People really like it. But Kim is okay with being the bass player um, at the time. But after this song comes out, you've got all these people coming up to her and being like, hey, how come you don't sing as much? How come you're not doing this as much? And it starts to dig into her head. Why aren't I on as many songs? Da 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 da. I mean. You might say, <laughs> what's the deal?
2: Oh! <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh. Anyway, this is sort of. <laughs> This already, their first album, is really sort of a, a crucial point where things are, are already starting to to fray. <laughs> and this is, again, not even really a year in. Um, so they did a, they did Where's My Mind is on Surfer Rosa. You've heard that. That's the Fight Club song. Yeah, it's you know the Fight it. Club song. It's the Fight Club song. Um, that song was all, also a single, but it didn't do shit. No one liked it. Um, until a little movie called Fight Club <laughs> it was, came around it and was, changed the world forever. You you listen, I don't really like Where's My Mind that much because it's the same thing with like the Killers, you know, which I also like. It's like oh, there's the one song, and that's all anybody ever knows, mm-hmm. and it's just irritating. Yeah,
2: but I mean, it was masterfully used in Southland. <laughs> <But> that's
1: true. <laughs> <laughs> I love it in Southland. Um, but. That song you can listen to it now and it, it still sounds like it was made yesterday. Like yeah. it doesn't yeah. sound like a late eighties rock song. It just yeah, doesn't. It, I totally And agree. it was never
0: like the band is still so idiosyncratic and kind of. I say that word about three times an episode, but it's true that they, yeah. they their whole style was never really fully absorbed into the rock world. So they they yeah. still sound, especially the earlier stuff. I mean, I would I would say I think that's fair. Uh, really, yeah. still sounds like nothing else really ever sounded just like that.
1: Yeah, I know. It, it's like it's like listening to um, revolution. Uh, not Re- like S- Sgt. Pepper's, whatever. I mean, mm. I'm not really gonna compare the Pixies to the Beatles in terms of like influence, but like in terms of you you can hear stuff on Sergeant Pepper's that you still can't hear. Yeah, nowhere. No, no
0: one even even now, no one would put an album that had those songs like in yeah. that order with those arrangements like like that. No, no one, people still wouldn't do that.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I, I still think Where's My Mind sounds contemporary, and I've been listening to it for 10 years.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think um, the, the best songs from this playlist to me really felt like they could have been released
1: last yesterday. week. Yesterday, yeah. And I, that's what's really cool about so much of it is that it doesn't sound like 80s rock. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really sound like anything <laughs> still, even though it inspired so much stuff that came after it. They invented a so,
2: the whole genre.
1: Sur- Surferosa was a pretty big hit. Um, it also was not immediately available in the. US. Um, Elektra Records picked them up at some point directly after it came out and they they put uh, they packaged Come on Pilgrim and Surferosa together. Um, Steve Albini was the producer on this and uh, he did not like the pixies he <laughs> hated them um this this i'm gonna read this direct quote from you this is he put this out in uh i think it was sounds It says the Pixies surferosa lp a patchwork pinch loaf from a band who at their top dollar best are blandly entertaining college rock their willingness to be guided by their manager their record company and their producers is unparalleled Never before have I seen four cows more anxious to be led around by their nose rings, except that I got to rewrite their songs with a razor blade, thought the drums sounded nice, and managed to get Nate the Impaler on the LP as a cameo. I remember nothing about this album, although I thought it was pretty good at the time. During the recording, (laughs) a sibling of the sexual partner of a pixie was lounging around making little fuck me noises, so I took her home and got stiffed. I seem to remember that their Filipino guitar player was <laughs> Pro Marcos, but I could be wrong. The album took me a week, maybe two. I made $1,500. Um, Who is this? <laughs> the, the producer of the album. Steve Albini.
0: Steve, let me just – I'm going to say you could have probably stopped about halfway into that and still gotten out looking pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Some people well, – I guess well, Steve Albini is like a legendary ro- like rock producer. So like, yeah. he's probably at the point where he feels like he can just say –
1: Basically, whatever. And he, he's kind of right. Yeah. Um, after the finished the album, they had like a listening party. Uh, and so they played through the record once. And then Albini goes, let's hear the hits. And then just put Gigantic on repeat. Um, and one of the Pixie's uh, tour members was standing. He says, I remember standing next to him being like, hey, man, this sounds real good. And Steve Albini just looked at me and said, fuck you. Got drunk, <laughs> threw up, and left. by the end of the record he was so thoroughly sick of them it was almost like a zen thing i mean he hated the Pixies. (laughs) but the thing is he ended up making one of their best records um that's amazing dude just did not so they the version i put on the playlist was actually the single version which was recorded by gil norton who did not hate the band in fact he worked with them for 20 years um so the, the single version of Where Is My Mind? Uh, no, of, of Gigantic. Oh, okay. okay. Um, I think it sounds a lot better. I, I One thing, I, I Surfer Rosa for me, and it's really popular in the Pixies fandom, this album, but I think the production sounds really dry in a lot of places, mm-hmm. and it's probably their most hit or miss album for me because, I mean, you've got songs like um, Tony's Theme, which I think is probably their worst song. I didn't put it on this playlist because it sucks. Um, but it, it just has like a, a bunch of like janky tracks like that. but either way, uh, Co's a big hit for, for them uh, <laughs> in the US not so much. but then they get with Gil Norton and they make Doolittle, which is by far their biggest album. Oh. Um, it's the only record they have that's platinum that sold a million copies so this is their big record it's it's cleaned up the production is uh not as harsh the songs aren't either like i said it's a little poppier um, and what a record this thing is mm-hmm. top to bottom all it's hits right. except for one uh, except for
0: silver so <laughs> <laughs> Sad, yeah sadly kim deal's one lead song on on Doolittle is pretty pretty forgettable and really does not gel. I mean, if you put gigantic on this album, it would sound more in, like in of of a piece of the record th- th- more more so than silver, which really just stops the whole thing dead.
1: Yeah, it really is. It really is not a great song. It's on her first uh, solo record as well. Mm the same wow. exact song wow. the same exact way I mean when
0: you when you make a song like, like silver you got to think oh this is this is this isn't just silver it's solid gold baby i got to <laughs> put this on my solo album too i got oh, to put, put this on
1: pod oh. actually i think it was only on the demo version of pod it may not have been on the full release don't hold me to that nerds everything on this album except silver really is just really really good even the even um the drummer has a lead track on this album
0: is that la la love you yeah. Yeah. It's a weird one. I
1: la, 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 love you. Charles had heard some love song on the radio and he was irritated by it. So he was like, I'm going to write the simplest love song in the, uni- in the universe. And I'm even going to have the drummer sing it just to prove that love songs are bad. Um, and everyone loved it. <laughs> so he was hmm. like, what can I do? I'll just condense it. The whole goal was to condense the love song into just like one phrase. And so it was just, la I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, People love that song. It's
0: catchy, um, man. And the guy who sings it sounds like Stephen Merritt, which I enjoy.
1: Oh, coincidentally. Oh. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Stephen Merritt. There was one other person who played drums for them, uh, Claudia Gonson. No. The... No way. Yes, uh, Claudia Gonson, the drummer, keyboardist, sort of vocalist for the Magnetic Fields.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah she's, she's basically like is one of their lead vocalists.
1: Yeah, she she played drums for the picks. She was their first drummer. Um, and they were going to sign her to be in the band, and then she decided she wanted to go to college instead, and then made, you know, Magnetic Fields. And then
0: made the most college music of all time.
1: Yeah. It was like, this isn't college... Pixies aren't college enough for me. <laughs> yeah. What can I do that's even college I meant to bring that up earlier, and I <laughs> forgot about it. I was like, yeah, J- I know Jason doesn't know this. I I did not know that. You were correct. Um, God, do little... Uh, is a really, really great album. I put Here Comes Your Man on here. This is a song that had been older than the band. I think uh, Charles has written this song in, like, 83 or 84. Um, But it it was it's so... Catchy. It's so... It's probably their most... It's one of their most popular
0: songs. Mm. It, it, it is definitely, like, the, the poppiest thing they ever did. It sounds like a... I mean, you, you say... Most of their catalog could have been released yesterday. Well, this could have been released fifty years ago. It's true. Yeah. Uh, it does have like a classic like sixties pop or rock bam, feel, bam, bam, and it is you know I I'm really you know I'm, I'm outing myself as a pretty like lame person here, but it is maybe my favorite of their songs because it is so poppy, but it's it, it, but it's so well it's constructed. Like they could have like it really shows you they could have if they Well, maybe not, but it, it it's feels like based on the song they could have just songs. made pop songs like this for their entire career and done pretty yeah. well.
2: Yeah. Cause I did rank it, the ones I liked
0: Yeah,
1: the, that one. I had
2: heard before though. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. It's it's, it, it sticks with you. Um, they, mm-hmm. it had been around, they recorded some of it for the purple tape, the version of it, but they didn't want to put it on cause it sounded so poppy. <laughs> um, but Gil Norton loved it. Uh, the producer of this album and, and he wanted them to release it as a single. Um, and they, Kind of, Charles just didn't want to do it and then he made them put it on the album and it's really good. It just it doesn't sound like a lot of their other stuff cuz it's it's like unabashedly a folk song. It's about an earthquake and like hobos, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a, it's a it's a folk song. Um and it doesn't have all the stuff on top of it that a lot of their other stuff does. So they released Do Little, it's a big hit even in the US and it's actually released here. I say big, I mean at the time it sold like 354,000 copies. For
2: like an alt rock yeah. album.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um oh,
2: that they didn't tour... exist yet as a genre.
1: <laughs> yeah. They tore it for a year and then they things are starting to get pretty tense between uh Charles and Kim. Um they're just not getting along anymore. Um they've been they've been in the same room together for like three years straight. Um and it's just not panning out, <laughs> personality-wise. It's just not, it's not jiving anymore.
0: We're at the part of the Behind the Music episode where the band is
1: at a height they've never known before, but they're on the verge of falling apart. Commercial yeah. break. <laughs> so Kim releases her first solo album during this break, which was Pod, and <laughs> Steve Albini produced it. And it was okay. It didn't do really well. Um, her next album will obviously uh, we'll get to that but this this um it it does okay and it's got a lot of members of like belly and throwing muses on it um but then they go they get back together in 1990 they all move to LA and then they immediately fire Kim Deal because she won't move out there uh the label goes crazy <laughs> um and they're like you cannot get rid of Kim Deal I'm sorry it's not gonna happen uh so they bring her back I tell you, I tell you what, I tell you what, Charles.
0: I tell you, I tell you what. No Kim, no band. <laughs> no
1: Kim, no band. So, um, the the songwriting during Bossa Nova starts to get a little frayed. Um, a lot of the stuff, instead of like them being songs they work on for months, a lot of it they're coming up with like days before they're recording. Mm. One of, one of the few exceptions to this is uh, Blown Away, which was reco- which was written. Th- this is a little story. So uh, tra- Charles is getting sick of Kim and they're touring in the UK and uh, they don't have a show for a few days so Charles is like I'm going to get off the bus, I'm going to cool down, I'm going to stop being so mad at Kim all the time he gets off and then looks behind him, and Kim has gotten off the bus to do the same thing, and they end up getting hotel rooms side by side. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And now he's stuck for a week in the city with Kim. He goes to the hotel room, gets mad, and writes, uh, blown away. Um, great great times. Everyone's <laughs> really having a great Like a fun
0: time little blast. cartoon short. Frank and yeah. Kim in You Again! Uh, a lot of
1: people during this time <laughs> say that uh, <laughs> Charles and Kim may have been having secret sex on the side, <laughs> um, but no one's really ever been able to canonically prove this.
0: That sounds like a fun thing to uh, baselessly speculate about, though.
1: No, oh, people have been doing it for 30 years, so you There's know, why a man not and a woman in a,
2: right? a close working relationship with each other?
0: You know what
1: that sounds like to me. So Bossa Nova is all about aliens. And I don't <laughs> know if you noticed.
2: The segues I, in
1: this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's what, my favorite. What, it's my favorite record, I think, sometimes. but
2: What songs from Bossa Nova did you include in the playlist?
1: Well, I include Dig for Fire because that was um, them trying to write a talking head song. I thought, oh, that might appeal to certain members of our <laughs> speaking audience. Um, I included <laughs> Make that Believe, be? The I mean? Happening, Havelina, Winterlong, Dig for Fire, and a new version of Down to the Well, which Winterlong
2: made my top five of, of favorite songs. Kelsey
1: favorites. Goldman top mm-hmm. five yeah. Pixie that, songs. That's a Neil Young cover. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Love it. They really okay.
0: made. They really made it sound like a Pixie song. Mm-hmm. Dick for Fire. Bossa Nova D- happened. Dick for Fire, just a note, inspiration for a uh, Jake Johnson film of the same name. Go on.
1: Um, it's also the name of like seventy different cover albums that people did.
0: Yeah, that that's a, a good one. That's a good one. You got you know, every band has like one or two songs that like have a really yeah. good title or lyric for the uh the compilation albums or the cover albums or what have you.
1: Yeah. Bossa Bossa Nova was not as a well received <laughs> uh as Stu Little, if you can believe that. It mm. it's the most surf rock album they have. Uh, i really like it but it doesn't sound like their first few records for sure
0: i like that, that implies that when frank black is or sorry charles thompson the third is <laughs> on autopilot or if he's like under stress just, just just needs to crank out some songs he just like shifts into surf rock mode just
2: yeah <laughs> comes brian wilson I mean, that, that, and, yeah
1: <laughs> rock music the they wrote the lyrics for that he just improv the lyrics for that because like, they had the music but they didn't have any lyrics He's <laughs> like, well, I guess it's your mouth's a mile away. Uh, I don't know. Let's do it. Um, Trop Le Monde is the next album on this, uh, known, on this known,
0: playlist. Known by some fans, i.e. Jason Edwards, as the one with the eyes on it. So Morgan, on this one you had, uh, you, had you had another version of Subaculture.
1: Is that right? Yeah, and I, that, I wanted that on there so you could hear. Because at this point the band is not communicating. Uh, Kim is pers- basically person of non grata here. She's not doing anything. And I wanted you to be able to hear the difference between the early version of Subaculture, which is basically a duet with Kim. And in this version where she's about this far away from the microphone. Uh, and you can't hear her. She's barely in the mix at all. Yeah. Um, and I wanted I wanted that to sort of I wanted that to be
0: Ah. Huh. Yes, an auditory illustration of the band's fractured state. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice.
1: And in this album, there's um there's a couple extra people brought in, sort of like on late era Beatles er- times here. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Eric Drew Feldman is here, and his brother Jeffrey with one F Jeffrey. The
0: the Pixies featuring Billy Preston,
1: yeah. Um, and he's playing the ther. Uh, this is even though this is them at their absolute worst in terms of like creative output and person to person contact. Uh their music's still really good. Um and and their tour at this time is is has blossomed into a huge thing. Um but it's also when they made probably their worst call uh which was they went on the tour with U2. Uh they did the Zoo TV tour in North America. Ooh. So this is the end. <laughs> um <laughs> The Zoo. If you don't know this tour, you don't really care about U two, and that's fine. You don't need to. There, I mean, whatever. It's U two, but at the time this happened in ninety two, Zoo TV was the biggest rock show ever in terms of like sales, in terms of like attendance, in terms of like technical achievement. Uh, it was huge, uh, and they asked Nine Inch Nails to be in it. Oh, I should mention. Do you know what happened the day after Trump Lamont came out? Nevermind by Nirvana came out the next day. <laughs> no.
3: That's
1: Would you rough. care to guess which album has <laughs> has has had oh, a bigger yikes. impact on the world? Um, it didn't. It, it was a bad time. Um, you were
2: talking about the Zoo TV tour.
1: Yeah. So, uh, they go out with you two, and we're talking like. 50,000 people at this show, and like when the Pixies would come out to open, there'd be like five, six hundred people there. Oof. Oof. Like, <laughs> no, even when they did shows in Boston, where they were from, nobody was there to see them. It just didn't happen. There, the the guy who owned Four Eighty Records, Ivan Watts. This is this is a direct quote from him. He goes, "Oh god, why does it always happen?" <laughs> I remember I remember before that Throwing Muses were opening for R.E.M. and being in the audience with Throwing Muses coming on stage, so excited. They were touring with R.E.M. They both like each other. Audience is going to gobble it up. The place was a third full. I felt so strongly that this never works. You always get so excited. The idea that this is going to do them so much good, that this is going to expose them to a bigger audience, and it just never fucking works. You're but playing like, a half-empty imp- half <laughs> arena where no one cares. Um, that was <laughs> direct quote from him. He says, I never learned my lesson. I mean, you two only paid them $750 a show. And they were making, 30, <laughs> they were, yeah, That's bad. They, they had to pay ninety five thousand dollars to do the show, uh, to okay, be in in bad. this tour. Are you kidding me? U two was like the biggest rock band in the world at that yeah. point. Yeah, they made thirty three million dollars, um, the first six months of this tour, oh my and they God. paid the Pixies wow. seven hundred and fifty bucks a show, so. Everything's kinda everything is really the band literally is not talking to each other. No one is talking to each other. And I mean, then can you Kim, imagine
0: God you're you're playing like stadiums and you walk out and there's like five hundred people scattered around like yeah. in the upper reaches of the stadium like the seats. Ugh. It did that not
1: seems... it didn't hand, morale was at an all time low. <laughs> 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 and the thing is you two, even though Bono was like a, a big fan of the Pixies, they never actually talked to them during the tour. Oh, that's Um, great. They, at the end of the tour, they, in North America, uh, they had a boat party and the Pixies were gonna be, like, the guests of honor there, but then the boat left without them. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So the Pixies weren't even on the boat. And um, during this time, uh, there was this um, guy named Jim Greer working for Spin Magazine, and unbeknownst to anybody, he had been dating Kim Deal, and he, Jim Greer wrote this, like, grueling expose on the, the Zoo TV tour in a magazine called Spin. Uh, and then it came out that he had been he'd been dating Kim, and that's how he knew all this stuff. Basically, because of this magazine thing—I mean, the, the Pixies were going to break up anyway. But this, uh, this magazine was, like, a big embarrassment because they were just in the middle of the tour— and now everybody in U two's camp hated the Pixies, like, and <laughs> they they literally put like signs up that said Pixies can't go past this point. And it was it was really embarrassing. You can't come in uh, here. This
0: is the No Pixies Club.
1: Yeah, Charles got really mad, and it was a big thing. After the the that last leg of the Zoo TV tour, they were on. They did one more show in Vancouver. <laughs> And that was it. They were done. Charles sent a fax to everyone. <laughs> and he was like, we're done. <laughs> uh, the Band's over. Um, and everyone else sort of just had to go with it. Except for Kim, who got the Breeders back together. And they did Cannonball, which was a massive alt-rock hit. Yep. That album was platinum. And it did really, really, really well. To, to put it in perspective, um, Doolittle didn't... Hit platinum status until last April. <laughs> Ooh! Wow. Um, and and her first real record after the Pixies, you know, sold a million copies in like two years. Hmm. Uh, it That's it weird. was weird. Like, I w- I wonder why Kim's not in the band anymore. Hmm. <laughs> it's mm. so weird. Hmm. Can't think um, of a reason. Well, yeah. Well, so Frank Black, or he's going by Frank Black now. He releases Frank Black. And uh, and Teenager of the Year because he won a Teenager of the Year award, um, and as, as do, a te- as a teenager, to be clear, not as a teenager, not in teenager. The <laughs> okay. as a teenager, they don't do, they just don't do well, uh, really, um, especially in in terms of the Pixies. But his output during this period is, he did something. I think it's like sixteen albums after the <sighs> Pixies broke up and before they got back together. That's too many. For, From 93 to, um, I mean, he's got like seven or eight solo albums, like five or six with the Catholics. Um, Then he did uh, some with his wife, Violet. They did did a band. um, I can't think of the name of it right now. Grand Duchy. Um, Kim was in, she also did the amps when the people from the breed, when her sister went to rehab and then she went to rehab. It's a whole thing. You don't really necessarily need to know this for this show, but. There you go. And then um two thousand and three-ish to two thousand four-ish. Here we go. Here it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is it. Here you go, man. <laughs>
0: the climax of the whole story. We've been, that, everything's been building to this moment. It's all so clear in hindsight that it cut it could not have played out any other way but this.
1: This is the only way it could happen. Um <laughs> Charles was on a radio station in England and they said, Hey, are the Pixies gonna get back together anytime soon? And, uh, and he said, yeah, we get together all the time and jam. <laughs> this is a direct quote. I forget what I said, but it was like, yeah, we get, we get together all the time and jam. And somehow that got interpreted as, they're doing it. They're getting back together. Suddenly it was on fucking CNN the next day. It was in the New York Post. And then everyone was calling me like, is it happening? And then I was just like, well, yeah, what the hell, let's do it. <laughs>
0: That's so, so beautiful. Just you you're you're in an interview and someone asks you if the Pixies are getting back together and you say, "Oh yeah. We're getting back together to do a whole new album right away." <laughs> and everyone's like, "Holy shit, the Pixies are getting back together to do a whole another album right away."
1: It's on CNN.
0: Alert the media. <laughs> Alert the media.
1: <laughs> Alert the media. <laughs> um so they, so they got extra extra read all about it. Pixies back together. Pixie. So if if you want any further um clarity on how all of their lives had dovetailed into basically just squalor and um (laughs) none of them had any money they were all broke um and really doing nothing uh watch loud quiet loud it's a documentary i think it's free on on youtube Mm. um kim had just gotten out of rehab for being addicted to drugs um charles was doing solo albums that only catholics fans cared about and they're a different breed um to be
2: clear that was the name of his (laughs) band right yeah frank black and the catholics like making music for catholics
1: not making music (laughs) for catholics but with them
0: Um, (laughs) uh wait sorry quick sidebar is there a group
1: of people who are just fans of that band (laughs) yes wow big fans (laughs) uh um, if you ever go to the Frank Black forums, uh, they, can't see they, it happening. Okay, I, I can't, mean, and I can't believe they all listen to this podcast.
3: They're
1: they're a very small group of people, but yeah. they are they exist, and they are passionately upset at the Pixies reunion because Charles has said multiple times he's never going to do <laughs> another Catholic album. It's never going to happen, and they hate it. There's 12 of them. They're mad as hell. <laughs> um, There's
2: 12 of them. They're, they're mad as hell. So oh, man.
1: Uh, Dave Lovering, their drummer, he'd, he'd done a magic show. It wasn't working out. <laughs> uh, Joey was doing, like, background tracks for, like, TV shows and movies. Uh, they're all broke. And then one day Charles is like, yeah, we're a band. We've always been a band. We've been playing together for 10 years. Um, and here's our 3 really <laughs> single. Um, so they get back together. The producers of Shrek 2 go to the Pixies and they say, we want a song for Shrek 2. The Pixies, can you make us a song? And um, to make up for perhaps years of neglected creativity, they allow Kim Deal to write Bam Thwok." Yeah, Bam Thwok," the best song the Pixies ever released. You, it's very memorable because of the mid song organ <laughs> Where solo. The song completely stops for an uh,
0: organ solo in an entirely different tempo, rhythm, uh maybe a different key. I don't think the organ's present on the rest of the song. Is there organ on the rest of the song?
1: It could be, but it's so quiet no one would Har- ever know. Hard
0: to tell, but no the and then well, the solo is also very quiet. Yeah.
1: Um Ugh. this song was not well received.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Real. It was released exclusively to what iTunes. Yeah. Um so they recorded it for Shrek and then The Counting Crows' Accidentally in Love took their place in the movie and then Smash Mouth's cover of The Monkey Song <laughs> I'm a Believer uh took their place in the trailer. So they were rejected for Shrek 2.
0: Here's the weird thing though. Weezer also has a song that was written for Shrek 2 but rejected. So what I want to know, they ended up with the Counting Crows. How many like, 90s alt rock bands did the producers of Shrek 2 go to and said, hey, if you write us a song, I don't know, maybe you'll be in Shrek 2. <laughs> and they were just like, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, we got to do it. We got to do we it. We got to do it. We need that Shrek 2 money. So after the reception of Bam Thwok, I should say they also did a cover of Ain't That Pretty At All, a Warren Zevon song for a Warren Zevon tribute album. Mm-hmm, yeah, because that was right That's after right he, died. he died. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Which is notable, uh, I think, because that cover actually, <laughs> even though Frank Black is singing on it, or most of it, Kim's also on it, it actually yeah. has a less aggressive vocal performance than the Zivon original. Which is interesting. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird <laughs> yeah, choice.
2: I, of those two people, uh, one of them generally has a less aggressive performance. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after the reception to Bam Thwok, um Kim decides... Maybe we shouldn't make new music. <laughs> uh, maybe we should just stick to the old stuff. And for a while, that was pretty cool. Everyone was like, yeah, sure. Reunions kind of suck generally.
2: So were they touring or just yes. like, okay. Yeah. So in
1: 2004, they did Coachella and a few other big, big shows. Um, And they were selling out. Young people were showing up. Like a whole generation of people who didn't get to see them live were all coming to the shows. Um, and they did a Doolittle twentieth anniversary tour that lasted for nearly three and a half years. <laughs> uh, Oof. and they played; they would play every song from Doolittle, including the B sides. Um, and then they would do uh, general like ten to fifteen other songs, and that's what they would do every single show. And they did that Doolittle tour almost longer than they were together as a band originally. Just that <laughs> one tour. Wow, and. By the end of it, uh, they were like, "We maybe should do new songs."
0: Uh, can we just can we just Kim, pause for a second to imagine yeah. how Steve Albini reacted when he first heard "Bam Thwok.
1: <laughs> I bet he nearly shat himself inside out. <laughs> just shat himself.
0: Uh, so let's take a minute to enjoy our own personal versions of that,
1: <laughs> and we can move forward. They um, so they finally get Kim. To agree to record new music, they go. They fly to England. So they struck. A, start, they struck a deal. Struck a deal. They're gonna <laughs> get, get. They're gonna. They get Gil Norton back. Gil Norton uh, says, Gil's "I want you back, to baby. imagine that you've been on the planet of Sound this whole time, <laughs> that you got stranded up there, and we'll make a song about you coming back. <laughs> we'll make an album about you finally leaving the planet of Sound." So they record a couple songs, and then Kim's like, "I quit, bye." <laughs> um, and then she just fuck, she just leaves, she's gone, and they're in, they have all the studio time, paid for, and now they're like, "Well, what do we do?" So they they fly in somebody to do the vocals for um, Bag Boy, which I put on the playlist here, along with Blue Eyed Hexa and uh, Women of War um bag boy is just dropped out of the blue one day in 2014 i i like Um, i like bag boy it's weird there's just just some guy on there
0: because it sounds so much like kim's vocals or at least it's the same tone
1: yeah it's because they recorded that song with kim she was on it (laughs) um and then when she quit they were like well i guess just take her out and we'll put somebody else in who i don't know just somebody But then they didn't do that for any of the other tracks. They just recorded them as a trio. (laughs) So Indie Cindy, they decided to have an innovative release strategy of putting all the songs out on EPs. I'm uh, innovative in quotes. Hmm. Um, No one liked it. Uh, Indie Cindy was the beginning of the no Kim, no deal era of Pixies fans in which I vomit profusely. Oh, when, when when people decide to be huge babies about it? Yeah, they're like, if there's no Kim, there's no band. I disagree.
2: Bands change.
1: Yeah, Bands change. You
2: cannot like the band after she leaves, but they can't not exist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, she wasn't the main songwriter. Um, Her The last few albums they did, she wasn't even a prominent bass player. I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But uh um, <laughs> not, not okay. that big of a what? <laughs> there you go. That's your one. That's it. We got it. Cut the feed. We got him. Um swarm. Swarm. I, if you listen to LeMond and then you listen to Indy Cindy, there there's some continuity there. Well to,
0: I, describe a thing that I am less likely to do.
1: Yeah. Right, well that's fair. <laughs> um I'm going straight from Tromp
0: Lamont to Indy Cindy. I'm gonna have a hell of an
1: afternoon. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it's it's con- congruous with their mm. previous work. Um, it's not as loud. Um, and there's lots of stuff that, that Charles has taken from his blues rock times. The, the songs are a little slower, but they're also 30 years older. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, they hire Kim Sh- Shattuck of the Muffs, who just died uh, oh. three or four months ago. She took over from Kim. So they're like, "Oh, you he want you, a-
0: you want a Kim? We'll get you Oh, we'll get we'll you a I Kim. Can. We'll get the best Kim money can
1: buy." She was really good and her and Charles got along really, really well. They did some concerts together as a duet and they're really beautiful. They did like acoustic shows together. But her and Dave Lovering, the drummer, just really did not get along. Uh they they just he hated her, and basically he or was did like- she yeah, not like magic? <laughs> yeah. So they get rid of Kim. Again. Uh, they get rid of Kim again, and then they hire uh, Paz Le Chantaine of A Perfect Circle. Uh, she gets hired, and the day they hire her, they bring her into the studio to record Women of War, which was a free, song, uh, free record day track they did. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good track. Yeah, it's pretty considering good. Considering- that she had joined the band 30 minutes before. I think it's really good. Yeah, she sounds
0: good considering. She, yeah, she just. I guess. Well, she's been playing with. I guess Maynard, Maynard for years at that Ever. point, so she's used to. Yeah. um uh, Well, I. I, I want to do a joke here. I actually have never listened to a song by a Perfect Circle, or
1: maybe neither even have I. A single song <laughs> by Tool. Well, we'll fast forward here. They do Head Carrier in uh, 2016. Uh, I don't really like it that much. It's notable. For one track, I think, which is all I think about now, um, Charles wanted Paz to to sing a song. She said she would if he wrote it about Kim. <laughs> so oh. he wrote basically an apology to her for being the person that he was when they were big. Oh. And um, it's really notable in concert because it has the same opening structures. Where's My Mind and people always cheer and then it's a new song and they get mad.
0: Uh when we when we saw them play um with Weezer, actually, yeah, they played um, it then they played they played then, and it was really it's like they played it like early enough into the show that like e- either it, it either could or could not have been where's my mind and people, yeah, like the yeah, people got like all hyped for it. and then oh, the disappointment was a beautiful thing oh, <laughs> palpable <laughs> and I think I think it's a really pretty song. It's good. I actually yeah. I like that one and all all the Saints, right is also from that album. yeah yeah, I enjoy those two songs actually.
1: They're really, I think they're great songs. They played all the Saints at the New York show. Um, Head Carrier uh, is not really super well received. A lot of people don't like pause at this time. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's whatever. They go back in the studio this past year and do Beneath the Erie. I think this is their best album that they Mm. ever did. Um. Um.
2: I will say that Daniel Boone is the best song on this playlist. I legitimately liked it and listened to it like sixteen he-
1: times. Here go Kelsey. So this is the full circle thing. Um, <laughs> Daniel Boone is a sort of spiritual uh, sequel to Caribou, in that um, it's 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 taking that reincarnation motif, and instead of instead of being apart from the world, instead of being out in nature or whatever, it's it's about the person re- realizing the beauty of the place they're in. <laughs> um, he, he wrote this song. He was on the way to the studio, Charles was, and it was really early in the morning and there was lots of fog and uh, this gigantic uh, deer came out of the woods and stood in the road and he almost hit it. And, uh, and he imagined that he did and he died. And and he wrote Daniel Boone. And I think that Daniel Boone is the best song they've ever written. <laughs> I, I mean, it of was... my
2: limited exposure, I would agree with you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say, I did
0: not expect you two to be so aligned on this band. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a, a genuine, pleasant surprise to me.
1: And I, I mean, on Graveyard Hill... The one of their I think the best single they've done since Trompe on mm, It's great.
2: Also, also in my top yeah. five.
1: Um, Long Rider, um, and and, and this album.
2: Okay. Top five, Long Rider. It's so, it's good. so good. Under the
1: Marigold, <laughs> so good. They, they. Oh, I'll get that in just a second. I know we're we're running short on time. Um, the, this album they did a podcast to sort of like walk the record as they were recording the album and um and, and charles has made a lot of strides in not being such a tightwad control freak asshole yeah um he he delegated a lot of stuff in this album to pause and they worked together on a bunch of tracks long rider was one of them under the marigold so it was kind of a pause a cast a pause cast <laughs> um they work they work really well together and i think their chemistry is better than the chemistry he had with Kim, even at their peak. I really, really do believe that. They play great together. I, again, I've seen them twice in concert now, which is a lot
0: considering I, again, don't know a ton of their songs. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that first show we saw, because when the, when the, we went, I, I went to see Weezer that show, which was, that that half of the concert was honestly a little bit of a disappointment for various reasons. The Weezer half? The Weezer half, yeah. But the Pixies half, like, they got out there and they started playing and they played for, A little less than an hour, and they made they got through like thirty or forty songs because they just went and they did not stop for anything. And it was they played great. It was all fantastic and high energy, and like everything sounded great. Uh, And I was so I've never been more like pleasantly surprised by a band at a concert before. Yeah, Yeah. they were great. And then we saw them in New York, and that was a little bit marred by the the energy of the
1: crowd. Yeah, that was a. A really great two thirds of a show and then the last third got a little violent.
0: <laughs> well, because the Pixies make music that is angry but not like that high energy. There's no real release for it. This is my theory anyway. So people, I, people I go there the this. show and they get like sort of like they get amped up and they get antsy and they get full of like, you know, Frank Black's uh his emotions and his his thoughts and words. And then the they, internal have, rage. they have they can't but they can't like mosh it out. Because there's no real
1: space for that in their music, yeah. so they just get all all like jazzed up and bothered. I will say that the first time I saw him when he came out at that Weezer show, I was in something akin to religious <laughs> awe. And this guy's like a fat bald man. <laughs> he's like four feet tall. And I mean, when, when he looks like he, look, him, he looks like a dude from Boston. It's like a dude from Boston. When I saw him, I literally couldn't speak. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe he's a real person. <laughs> I can't believe he's a real person. Um, but that, uh, they, they're on a tour right now. They're going to be touring for the whole year. They're go- I believe they will do at least one more album. I believe that. Uh, two, maybe. I don't know. But I think they got at least one more in them for sure. And if it's as good as Beneath the Eerie, I'm on board with it. Um, Under the Marigold, that song, they did a whole separate record with Beneath the Eerie that was just like B-sides and like stripped down tracks because they used to put out a lot of B-sides. They have a whole album that's just B-sides and it's full. It's like 19 tracks. Um, And they sort of missed that element of record producing. So they did the second album Uh, and the, the Catholics fans, the Frank black people love it because it's a lot blues rockier. It sounds like his indie, his solo stuff. Um, And I think it's really good, too. I think it's really good, too. And uh, some of the tracks just went on Spotify. I got to say, one of the most uh,
0: enlightening things from this whole tale you've woven across the the, the decades and centuries and millennium is that the the, the idea of the Pixies as a Boston band was not something I really knew. Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Considering their music is very dark and gloomy and religious, but not like faithfully or spiritually religious just like the iconography and the
1: parts about you hating yourself <laughs> yeah it's all very yeah. it's all very boston very boston i i could i I, feel like I could talk about just um just about charles for another two hours just because the dude is the most interesting person in in music to me i don't know uh, the the dichotomies in and and who he is and how he writes and how violent some of the music is in its lyrics but how it's also I don't know it, it, it they're just so good <laughs> they're so good um but that that's the the, the discography of of the Pixies that's the disco- that's all of it
0: well. well well told my friend
3: that was good
1: yeah, Anthony Fantano of The Needle Drop <laughs> said of Beneath the Eerie, The reunion is bad. It's time to quit. Mm. I hate him. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Fantano, if you're hearing this, you're wrong about the Pixies.
2: I mean, he's wrong about that
1: album. It, the, the album's so good. It is good. Beneath the Eerie is a great, great mm. album. And you should listen to it.
2: Like me personally or, or the me of all the, of the- the, the people out
0: there who've been listening for the last hour and a half. Tell you what, to our listeners, um, listen to it on your
1: way to therapy. Yeah. Folks. <laughs> Folks. Just listen come on. to Daniel Boone. If you got, listen to Daniel listen to Boone and Caribou. Song. Thank you for listening to me talk about the Pixies for an hour and 25 minutes.
2: You're welcome.
1: Hey, you're welcome. Man. I enjoyed it. You, what was your, give me your top fives? Oh. Okay. Wait, yeah. We're, we're counting down
0: the Kelsey Goldman top Start five. with number five.
2: Okay, number five was Long Rider.
1: Cool. Um,
2: number f- number four was Gigantic. Love it. Um, number three was Winter Long.
1: Beautiful song.
2: Um, number two was Been All Around the World, which was a cover, I guess. But they I liked did, it yeah, a it was lot.
1: from a folk concert they were mistakenly invited to. Yeah, it was good
2: though. <laughs> and then number one was Daniel Boone.
1: Beautiful. Best song. Really good. <laughs> I heard it live and I cried. I'm not afraid <laughs> to admit it. Yeah. I wept. Yeah. Sure. Hey, Morgan. What of it? Yeah.
2: Have you ever listened to the Tragically Hip? Yes. Because the, the I, they're one of my favorite bands, and that was like a lot of these gave me similar vibes. That's fair. makes sense because I guess they were active around the same time. But
1: Yeah. I think they recorded it at Fort Apache. Morgan, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Hey, no problem. Sorry, I gave you sixty songs. Hey, it's okay. it's I had fun.
0: Cool. Do you, Morgan, do you have? Can I ask you this? Can I ask you a question? I've been asking you for a few years now.
1: Yeah. Do you have a podcast? I have a podcast, and not only do I have it, it's already finished. <laughs> Beautiful. Finished? So, if you followed my adventures of Kabluey and the monkeys over the last <laughs> three years of ruined my life, you'll know that I was frequently saying, "It's coming." It's going to come out soon. Any day now. Last October, after (laughs) recording and editing for three years, because I'm lazy and I hate myself. But it's finally out, and it's called The Misery Loves Company. And you can listen to it at MLCpodcast.com. Jason's in it. I'm in it. Jason's in it. He plays General Bloodstorm, which is real. It's real. (laughs) Yeah. That's a real name.
2: General Bloodstorm, um, obviously, yeah.
1: Uh, it's I think it's pretty good. I was mad at it for a long time, like a couple years, but I think it turned out okay.
2: I mean, the source material is A+.
1: <laughs> Great source material. Yeah. Great source material. But it's like Star Trek if everyone um was the, the bad guy. <laughs> I don't know. It's really good. It's like
0: Star Trek <laughs> if it was like three Boba Fets, <laughs> three Boba Fets, but and Star all, Trek. But they're but yeah, but they're all dumb. And one they're of them all is,
1: so dumb. One of them is made of rocks. I don't know. <laughs> one one's of made, made rocks, of rocks. One's made of smoke, and the other's got four arms because that's a character trait. Taylor's oldest time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. But yeah, no, I fi- it finally came out. It finally happened, and you should all. I'd do love it. for you, Kelsey. To be in season two, I'm asking you right now, live Ooh. on oh, the wow. air. This is a this is a scoop.
2: That's exciting. Yeah, sure.
1: She said yes, boys. <laughs> Yay! There we go. Excited
2: to see, see what kind Tumy of part and, I'm going to receive.
1: <laughs> you'll if it's anything like Sarah's, I'll ruin it forever. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and that's the uh. way the cookie crumbles. Uh. Well, now you know. Now you can see Kelsey in season two of The Misery Loves Company coming out this year exciting boom how about that casting
0: news delivered here to you
1: live and Mm. now you know thank you for having me on ruin my life for a third time I will be here again as soon as I can
2: we got to do that wrestling thank you thank you oh
1: we're gonna no we're doing I'm doing (laughs) wrestling next time so get ready it's gonna be an AEW show we're gonna have a great time
0: (laughs) I look forward to it thank you Morgan no problem and thank you to Danny About of the Weeping Willards Use of their song Outside in the Rain from their self titled album available on Bandcamp.
2: And thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com.
0: Rate, review, subscribe, like, follow, etc. But most importantly, folks, you got to do one thing and one thing alone, and that is go, go to, therapy. to therapy. Go. 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 They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me, only I can mention me, only I can mention me. No! Okay. You guys ready? Oh my god, is that Fork? Is Fork here? Yeah. Can can I talk to Fork? Yeah. Oh man. (laughs) Hey man. This is all, this is so magical. (laughs) Yeah, right? Hey, here's, here's, here's me, Uh, I'm stupid. I didn't know that was you for like the entire first season. (laughs) And now I look back and I think, how could I have been so blind? <laughs> how could you not have known? I did all the other voices. Yeah, you did. You did Ahab. You did Clyde. I uh, did
1: one of Clyde's lines once. That's really? Not a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, which which one? It, I think it was in like episode three. I think because Derek fucked it up, and I was like, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs>